Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we have with us instructor extraordinaire, Diane Pearson. Today, Diane, we are going to talk a little bit about our annual survey and a little bit about sales and marketing alignment, a, a spot that you and I could probably spend hours, if not days, talking about. Absolutely. Well, and today, Rebecca, I hope you don't mind. I'd like to turn the tables on you and start by asking you a question. Oh, well, I feel like I'm in the hot seat, but I'm in. This must be how my guests feel. <laughs> well, let's, let's see how it goes. But, you know, one of the things about the challenges between sales and marketing have to do with some pretty specific frustrations. And I know that our organization and your team specifically performs an annual product management and marketing survey every year. And that's where I got a lot of my data for today. So I'd like you to start, if you don't mind, by telling the listeners what is the annual product management and marketing survey that Pragmatic Marketing does, what kind of information does it have, and and I guess to start there. Oh, absolutely. All right. So yes, we do an annual survey. In fact, we'll go out in about a month uh, where we kind of gather, we reach out to product managers and product marketing managers and executives all across the globe. This year we had 3,500 respondents and we talked to them. We both tried to get an idea of sort of the demographics of, of them. You know, how long have they been in the industry? What kind of education do they have of the type of organizations they work at? Big, small, revenue, number of products, types of products, right? So we can look at all the data that way. Uh, we also collect the always power, uh, interesting to the market salary data, so you can compare salaries and bonuses. But the other thing we really try to dig into are the big problems that they're facing every year. Like what is keeping them up at night? What is, is making them lose sleep? Um, what are the biggest challenges they're facing? And I love that. I've always loved this survey. And what I looked at when I started investigating this and just digging into it was I looked at the infograph, which I love. And um, I know these are these are all downloadable on our site, aren't they? The um, What's Ailing Product Professionals, that's that's downloadable on our site, isn't it? Absolutely. PragmaticMarketing.com slash survey if you want to see Norm's handiwork. Cool. So I looked, at, I looked at 2017, which was the What's Ailing Product Professionals, and I compared it with the one from three years ago, which was What Keeps Them Up at Night. And when I looked at it, I, I noticed some, some pretty interesting changes and also some pretty interesting similarities. What did, what did you guys find? So it was interesting. I think overall, maybe uh, more ails them, if you might call it that way. So nearly every challenge received more responses, right? So people picked more of the problems than they had in the past. So overall, every, everything sort of rose up. The waterline on everything was up 4%. And then there's some real commonality around what is the things we hear most. So in both years, the number one problem was the salespeople requesting customized sales tools on an account-by-account -account basis. So this is a lot of, you know, individual help with deals. You know, actually fishing with the salesperson versus providing them the tools to fish themselves. So that's the number one answer in both years. We also saw an increase in some, particularly uh, sales adding features in, to close a deal. And we've all been there who've worked in software, right? Where suddenly your roadmap is hijacked by a contract signature. But uh, that moved up eight percentage points and moved up from the number seven spot to the number four spot. Uh, also up six percentage points was sales intentionally avoiding selling the product. 
which is just sad, right? You're all excited. On your, you've got a great new product. You assume sales is just so pumped to sell it. But uh, it turns out that is not the case um, and that 30% of our audience found that their salespeople were consciously avoiding selling certain products in their portfolio. Wow. So there's kind of a pattern here uh, in the area of, of sales, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're seeing that too, huh? Yeah. I felt like I said the word sales there a lot. I could hear all my, you know, sales compatriots in the in the building starting to turn and look at me like, "Why? Why are you mentioning this?" <laughs> it's like uh, I I'm I'm glad I'm uh, a remote office because yeah, <laughs> when when I look at this and when you started uh, just ticking off the ones that were the number one and the ones that had changed and increased, it's uh Salespeople request, sales adding, sales intentionally. It, it's definitely a pattern. And I know, Diane, this is something that you've dealt, um, is a, a, a bridge that you've worked uh, building throughout your career. It's something you teach, is helping that sales alignment. It's so critical, but it's obviously, as you can see from the survey, it's, it's super important and it's obviously not very easy. So maybe we could shed some light uh, helping people with that today. Yeah, I, I like that, Rebecca. It's um, I've spent a long time dealing with sales, working with sales, and building good relationships with sales. And you know, one of the best ways to do that, honestly, is to just get in their heads a little bit, to understand their point of view. Because when I when I would try to describe this to people, you know, it, we're we're working hard building all these super cool products, and when we take them to the sales team. We are so excited as product managers because we went out in the market and found this opportunity and the market wants this thing. And that's wonderful. And and we've lived up to our goals or at least part of our goals by building this thing and responding to the market. And now what we feel like we're handing sales, when we hand them a new product or a new bundle or say, hey, you know what, we're going to take this product out to this whole new market. We think that we are handing them opportunity. We think that what we're doing when we build a new product or, or identify a new market and we hand that to sales is we are giving them an opportunity to grow and sell more and sell to more people. And the only thing the salesperson sees when they see all that is a big rock right in the middle of their road to quota. Mm. All they're seeing is, you know, this is, this is something else I've got to learn. It's people I don't know. It's pricing I'm not used to selling. And the more of those we put in their place on any given quote unquote opportunity, the more of a challenge it's going to be. And the less excited they're going to be, even if they know the market does want the product. This is because sales has got goals. Their, their one goal is to make their quota. That's all the company cares about for them. Make the quota. There's no timeline on that beyond the clock is ticking and the more quota you can make faster, the better off you are. So while it seems like, you know, they've got to do this really fast, if they get it done in say six months or they get it done in nine months or they get it done in two months or they get it done right at the end of the year with a last minute deal, it doesn't matter. They make their quota, the company wins, the company's happy, the salesperson's happy. If they don't make the quota, they can lose their jobs. I mean, how many of the rest of us, this is this is something I've always found interesting, how many of the rest of us have our goals and objectives and how well we're performing against them up on a board somewhere in the office where everybody can see it? 
I mean, can you imagine, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, Rebecca didn't get that, um, Rebecca didn't get that podcast done with Diane, and Diane didn't get that podcast. Right. You know, that would be just between us and our and our leadership, but uh, with sales, that's all up on the board on a daily basis that changes, and it shows who's number one, who's number two. There's a lot of pressure there, and so moving fast to get to that quota is what they're all about. I've got to get there. And if I've got to get there, I really want to do it the easiest way I possibly can. There's there's no extra benefit for a struggle. And let me tell you the truth, something that salespeople have told me, they don't really need another iPad. They don't really care about winning that contest and getting the trip to the Bahamas. If they make their quota, they'll be able to pay for it. They'll go to club with the company and be able to pay for their own trip. So they're worried about what you're putting in their way to success. And so everything we think of as opportunities, they see as roadblocks. I would ask, I would ask the people who are listening to our, our podcast today, think about those things that we put in their way as product people. You know, you know, let's say, for example, different buyer or different price, different technology, maybe a whole different sales process. For every one of those, we've put up a roadblock. And if one of our new initiatives has more of those, the level of effort that the sales rep is going to have to take and the risk that they have of not hitting their quota as a result of trying to get over these barriers is massive. And if they've got other things in their bag, they're going to sell those. That makes a complete sense. And I think it's a really important thing to understand about sales. And I mean, it can sometimes seem like they're just money oriented and they're only in it for them. But understand that the way the company makes its goals is just a collection of each salesperson making their goals. So it's not just that that's how they get to go to the Bahamas, but it's how, to some extent, we all do, right? Maybe I get to go to the Bahamas, but you know what I mean? That uh, it may seem selfish, but it is all of those combinations of what makes us overall as a company successful and hit its goals. And so it's really important to understand that and then to appreciate how that impacts all of us. Absolutely. You know, this is one of those things that, we think the more products they have in their bag, the easier it's going to be for them to make their goal. And we also think, well, you know, we went out and got the data. We worked really hard on the solution to this market problem. And sales will admit frequently, oh, yeah, the market wants this. They may have gone out with you on some of the calls and they may have heard the market clamoring for this product. But if the product is difficult to sell, you are going to find difficulty and, and sales resistance, difficulty in getting it off the ground because of sales resistance. Um, let me let me just give you an example. Let's let's take price for a minute. I've been in organizations where a, a product that was a bundle and it also included services. It was it was a great end-to-end solution for a specific market segment. And the market segment there was there was undoubted proof that they wanted it. It was a great deal for them. But the price point was was significantly higher than what this particular sales team was used to selling. Um, they were used to selling around ten thousand dollar deals, and this was going to be somewhere between seventy five and a hundred. And the positioning inside to the sales reps by the product team and the marketing team was, "Hey, guess what? You know, you can sell this one deal and be halfway to quota." And they're like, "Yeah, but you know, you've already told us that based on your data, the the selling cycle on this is going to be eighteen months." I could be gone in 18 months. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what's going to be around 18 months from now. I'm not going to put all my eggs in those baskets and maybe hope for a sale a year and a half from now. I got this nice, easy $10,000 product. I sell two or three of these every month. 
I know, I know how to do it. I'm comfortable with that. And you know, that was a surprise to the product team. And I've seen it go the other way. I've seen the product team come up with products to help goose revenue. You know, when you've got these long sales cycles, they say, well, what could we put in place? that's a short sales cycle, something that gets us revenue quickly. And, you know, I, I've particularly seen add-on features. I, we've talked about this before, just a small bundle, small upgrade of bundled features, um, an add-on price. It's something, hey, you know what? This looks really great. It's inexpensive. It's an easy decision. Uh, the person we're selling to is not going to have to get budget approval, you know, based on what we know of their approval um, thresholds, this fits. It's great. And then what we find out is uh, we're actually fulfilling a lot of those things, but we're not selling a lot. Can you guess why that is, Rebecca? Uh, I could, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're giving it away to sell the bigger products. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a nice thing, but I'm not going to sell that. It's a waste of my time. Right. I'm just going to give it away because I'll get the sale faster. Yep. It's it's just an example, you know, and, and you think about all the other types of resistance that we talked about, the you know, change in a buyer. I don't know who I'm talking to. The technology's changed. I have, I don't know how to talk about this stuff or you know, you're, you're, you're asking me to sell a product with a lot of competition that's that's brand new and changing constantly versus the product that's in a mature category stage that, hey, you know what, we're number one here. Everybody knows us. I know how to get around the competition. It's very clear. You know, you have one of those and it's, it's a big deal. But then you start talking about two or three or four, they're not going to sell the product. No, and those are all, all of those changes, even in your example of going from a, a 10000 to a $75,000 purchase. That is absolutely obviously a, a timeline changer, but it, it would change often the buyer, the level of approvals required. Uh, you'd bring in different competition because if I'm going to open that size of my budget, what else would I do with those budget dollars? Is there a whole different type of competition then, or is it just that another initiative then gets affected? Um, it's a very different piece and it's all going to affect, to your point, how smooth and quick the road to their quota is. And really their quota is not only their money, it's their security at the job. There's a lot at risk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the faster you get your, your quota in the door, the less risk there is for you of not making it. Because if it comes down to the end of the year, you know, you're, you've got a lot of risk there. So anything that's going to slow you down is, is not only the disadvantage of having to, you know, work like crazy between, you know, right at the end of the holiday season or something, but it's also... I, what if I don't make my quota and I'm really worried? You know, if you can make your quota in August or September, you feel a lot better. And so does the company mm-hmm. about, you know, trying to close deals while everybody's off on their, their holidays or trying to close it New Year's Eve or something. So with this understanding, right, it's a very, I think, vibrant picture of the sales team and a, and a true reflection of what it is they struggle with. So how can we help them? How do we become something helpful to them and not another rock in the road? Some of this is about understanding that you may not be able to get that rock out of their road for a while, that it may take them a lot longer to get comfortable than you have timeline to meet your goals. You know, the, the, if we launch a product, the product team has some goals. The sales team might have a, a contest or a, a spiff, you know, that could, could goose their interest, but their livelihood is not going to depend on this. So they can afford to avoid it where we can't. And so if sales truly will not sell the product, don't worry about it right at the moment. Sales will get there. Find other ways. And the three ways that I always recommend are escalate, alternate, or imitate. And you start there with escalate. 
the first thing is to look inside your organization. And if this is truly an issue, now that you understand sales problem, escalate the challenges you have to your next level of leadership. And this is absolutely not a blame game. This is a gap in understanding. If at an exact level or, or we've you know told the board or told other people who are now expecting this revenue to come in, if we've told them that and we had not anticipated the resistance from sales, there, there's a gap in understanding and we have to close that gap. So it's not sales that it's fault. It's not product that's at fault. It's not marketing that's at fault, but we have to close that gap. So let's escalate, get the leadership involved and figure out, is there an internal solution? Now, if there's not an internal solution, then we start talking about alternate or imitate. The first one there is, is alternate. Are there alternate channels you can sell through? Do you have partners? Could you get partners? This is something that, you know, maybe there are other channels that don't see the barriers that your sales team does. So go out and find a channel that can sell immediately. Maybe the channel is online. Maybe you decide to offer the product as a freemium or a, a um, test offering online and then automatically allow them to upgrade by paying for it as a subscription model. You know, maybe maybe the price is low enough that you can do that hey, people are buying cars out of vending machines these days, you might be able to do that. The third one is imitate. And this is where it's what I call build alongside. If your existing sales team isn't going to sell the product again, it's, it's not their fault and it's not, it's not something you're going to be able to do something about head on right at the moment. So what about finding a couple people on the sales who do want to sell? You know, maybe you find a sales engineer, somebody who specializes in that market or that solution segment, somebody who's an expert in, in one part of that area who can either work outside of the sales team or can work as an assistant or a helper to the salesperson, the expert in that area. Either one of these ways is very efficient because it, it allows a couple things. First of all, if you're selling alongside, the sales team can start to get a comfort level with the product and with the market or, or whatever's changed, they can see how to position it from somebody who does it all the time and who's very expert at it. The other benefit you get out of that with your sales team is you start to develop that sales pattern. Um, you can start to develop the buyer profile. Uh, the, you know, what, is, what does a good buyer look like? What does a buying scenario look like? A situation analysis document can be created so that you've got much more specific information to give sales from this person who's gone out and done this a lot. They've, you know, not only is it a problem that we solved for the market, but hey, we've had somebody in who sold 10 or a dozen or 20 or 50 of these. And based on that, we know how to talk to these people. The other thing you get out of that is uh, the gimme that factor is what I call it. Once you tell a sales team, hey, there's no need for all of you to sell it. Galinda over here, she's got a few customers who want it. So we'll just have Galinda be our expert on this. They can't wait to take that out of your hands. Give me that. I can sell that. I got three people who want that. Colinda isn't the best one here. I'm the best one here. It always helps. Absolutely. Competition is built in, right? So escalate. Make sure that this is an intentional sales management decision, right? It can legitimately be, right? Everybody has to get there. Alternate. Other channels. You had some, you know, can you do it online? Can you do it through a vending machine? Is there some other group within your organization uh, where maybe this is a more attractive offering to them to what they do? I don't know. Maybe you have an inside sales group that this would be something they feel like they could do. Or maybe it could be outside, right? Channel partners. 
sales engineers are another great one for this imitate. You know, you, you bridge that gap between the product team and the sales team. A sales engineer can give them that comfort level they don't have that they can learn over time from a sales engineer. And then imitate, right? Find someone who can be your flag bearer and get there and, and can do a few so that you can do it in a small group. And through that, other people want to imitate their success. Yeah, and that's actually where you use the sales engineer, not the channel. Awesome. I think that's a great idea. Any other hints? Anything that we can do? Those are great. Escalate, alternate, imitate. Understanding them and why they do this thing. It's not personal. It's a risk section. So anything we can do to lower those risks and help them understand it. And then if we still can't get through it, make sure that we do these things. I think it's a lot of great information for audience. And maybe in three years when we ask the question again, those will not be the biggest problems that we have on our survey. I would love that to be the case. I mean, I'd, I'd love, if nothing else, to at least have the product management teams, the product marketing team, have some different problems we can try to solve. Because this one, you know, this this group of problems, it's it's big, it's been around for a long time. And yeah, if I was, was going to give these folks some advice, I would say understanding the minds of the sales team and what's important to them is is critical. And getting them involved early in terms of the understanding of why you're building it and who you're building it for, get that mindset going early, not in a lot of meetings, but in conversations, in discussions, and bringing that support into the organization in in terms of sales engineers or the specific experts on the team who are going to go out and do this for a little while, some sort of onboarding. And and also, frankly, finding those channels um, can even help them because they can see how it's done by somebody who's not them who doesn't have the risk. But getting inside their head, giving them some explanation, giving them some additional help initially, training wheels, whatever you want to call it, should help you be more successful. Um, Just frankly, the the reaching out and understanding this, I think, helps us prepare better always for how to get the product successfully out into the market and sold. Understanding that sales might see this not so much as an opportunity, but a roadblock. And and we got to get around it however we have to and get the product sold. Diane, as always, this was great. Oh, wonderful. It was fun for me too. I loved hearing more about the survey and I will look forward to 2018. Yes, me too. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 